Hi, I'm Dr. Fred Silva of Arcana Laboratories, coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas, with another installment of Throwback Thursday. Cases I should have published. All of us have had cases we should have published. Here are a couple of mine that I thought were interesting but didn't publish. The first was a patient with renal artery stenosis. The patient had such severe renal artery stenosis, secondary to widespread atherosclerosis of the aorta, that he didn't have any lumen in his renal arteries leading to his kidneys, totally 100% obstructed by atherosclerosis on both sides. Yet his serum creatinine was, as I recall, about four or so, and he was not on dialysis. How could that happen? The kidneys were not infarcted, nor very small, and were somewhat working. I decided to ask radiology to bring up a portable x-ray unit to the autopsy suite, and we tied off the aorta below the renal arteries and injected radio-opaque dye into the aorta above the renal arteries. Much to our surprise, the collaterals to the kidneys were quite impressive. Vessels from the diaphragm, adrenals, and retroperitoneals were present, impressive, and they were supplying the kidneys with some blood, mostly, apparently, through the renal capsule and cortex. Microscopically, the blood vessels in the renal capsule were prominent. Of course, the atherosclerotic disease of the renal arteries occurred over time, slowly, which I guess allowed the collaterals to the kidneys to develop and flow. Also, I suspect that, as some physiologists tell us, when you decrease the blood flow to the kidneys, even with intact autoregulation, that is, appropriate interactions between the afferent and efferent arterioles, the decrease in GFR decreases the ultrafiltrate coming down the tubules, and the tubules have less flow and work to absorb and adjust, with decrease in need of oxygen, electron transport, oxidative phosphorylation, and all the rest. So the kidney itself can readjust appropriately within reason. Number two, renal amyloidosis. We published a patient in human pathology, Venata et al., with renal cell carcinoma, clear cell type, that showed extensive amyloid not only through the tumor itself, but also through the renal parenchyma in the nephrectomy specimen including the glomeruli. After the renal cell carcinoma was removed with a total nephrectomy, we found that the amyloid was AA type based on anisera to AA amyloid, courtesy of doctors George Glenner and Jose Costa at the NIH, and the old-style potassium permanganate stain. After the nephrectomy with the renal cell carcinoma, the proteinuria decreased considerably and the patient went home with little proteinuria. Before the nephrectomy, there was marked proteinuria. A couple of years later, the patient was seen after, as I recall, a motor vehicle accident, and a portion of his contralateral kidney was removed. Although he did not have any significant proteinuria at that time, the AA amyloid was still present in approximately the same amount in the glomeruli. Thus, the presence of glomerular amyloid by itself did not seem to be related directly with the proteinuria and made me think that the proteinuria initially 
was secondary to the tempo of amyloid deposition and not just the presence or absence of amyloid. Thus, we figured that amyloid, even AA, when the inciting cause is removed, in this case the renal cell carcinoma, is very difficult to remove from the kidneys, as other studies have also suggested. And even though there are studies showing a decrease in the clinical findings of renal glomerular amyloid with therapy, such as proteinuria, the amyloid is still probably there. It may be the tempo of deposition and not the amyloid itself, at least in the kidney, that leads to the proteinuria. Thank you for listening. This podcast and more can be found in the iTunes and Google Play stores. For more information and educational programming like this, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or visit us on the web at arcanalabs.com.